but I would just encourage you to, to maintain some alignment when it comes to celebrating the Christmas season, and certainly no better place than uh, the worship center on Sunday morning when the Word is taught to kind of realign our worship. And my, my hope and my prayer for you and for my family is that we are, we are celebrating uh, with Jesus in the center of it, and it's not out of, out of uh, pressure, but it's out of privilege that we celebrate Christmas. Um, so I hope you're in anticipation, looking forward. Um, in terms of gifts, uh, and not just getting gifts, but in terms of giving gifts, my family, uh, we're probably at fever pitch in terms of anticipation. Uh, Friday and Saturday, pretty much all day, every waking hour for the most part, besides one nap, uh, was spent um, uh, shopping for gifts or wrapping gifts, even until late last night. Um, and there's really not much, you know, you might be like, like the self-proclaimed, you know, uh, righteous person in the room and you don't care about getting gifts. And the answer is yes, you do. And, and, and for you, that might be, you, you might come to that realization. And for you, it might be so holy and so pure that you love getting gifts because of who it's from. And I would say, whatever, the, the rest of us, the rest of us, whether we, we say it out loud or not, but certainly as you get older, there, there is a joy in giving gifts, isn't there? There's a joy in giving that is, is just really, it's, it's qualitatively different than, than just getting gifts. And so for all the, the selfish reasons, for all the generous reasons, we, uh, we are at the height of what I would say anticipation because presents have been purchased, wrapped, and, and put under the tree. Uh, last Friday, we, we picked up the boys from school and we surprised them with our uh, uh, shop for each other shopping spree. And so we give them some cash, actually save up. They, they personally, just kidding, we donate their allowance that month to some gifts for each other, and they love this, and we take them to Target, and Ryan goes with Cooper, and I'll go with Graham, and we're like, hey, I need to go to the mall for mine, and we're like, okay, here we go, go to the mall, oh, I need to go to, to Walmart, right, and we're Target people, on the about you, but we're going, okay, here we go to Walmart, and we just go kind of make the rounds as people buy thoughtful gifts for each other and our family, and last night, till too late, we stayed up wrapping gifts, and, and most of them are under the tree, and that's just exciting. We, we look forward with anticipation to the kid's face when they open up their, can I tell? No, you, I don't trust you. Uh, just kidding. But we, we look forward in anticipation because of gifts. Um, and, and, and certainly we feel that in our family. Uh, even yesterday, the women's uh, ministry met for a, uh, a winter brunch and scarf exchange. This is where they uh, hung out together, yes, and biblical community, yes, but is also a really handy way to get rid of a scarf they don't like in hopes of getting a scarf that, that, that they do, but, but they had a great time. I heard great things as a man. Uh, I was not there, but they were able to get me this just to kind of celebrate uh, that, that great kind of connection event for women. Um, and so they go with anticipation and getting um, a, a better scarf or just a, they trade in even something they love and hopefully get something in return. So here's the deal. This is where we're at with the Christmas season, uh, I, anticipation, right? And this is where we're at in our Christmas series uh, Dave set up God with us last week with the Isaiah text, and, and actually his three main points uh, are going to kind of outline the next three weeks. So his first point was about a supernatural birth, and we're going to go much deeper into that this morning. His second point was about a, uh, a significant name and the realization of Christ. So Isaiah is kind of the proclamation, if you're into Asians like I am. you got the proclamation. Today is the, uh, it's the, uh, what I say? Uh, the anticipation, right? I've said that 12 times this morning. And then uh, and the next week, or the week after, is kind of the realization. Then after Christmas, a whole other ball of wax. We'll talk about there more, but it, but it fits. It's Christ's 
second advent. Um, so today, when we look at the supernatural birth of Jesus, the, the anticipation of this birth announcement that we find in Matthew chapter 1, if you would turn there, let's, let's read this text and then kind of unpack together this text. And this text has some powerful, powerful truth that no doubt, if you stay awake and if, even if you grab the pen from in front of you, even jot some stuff down on the note section of your program, I guarantee you today, as we look at this text, it will impact how we celebrate Christmas. And I guarantee you there's enough power packed into this text that it will affect um, our anticipation of Christ and of Christmas and even of getting and giving gifts, believe it or not. So Matthew 1, 18 and 23, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as, her, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord, we're told it's Gabriel, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, When we talk about excitement, certainly with anticipation, very few things do the trick like a baby announcement. True? Very few things get us as excited as, as a baby announcement, whether you're the parent, grandparent, even in community here as friends, we got excited about baby Esther coming into the world with our friend and our life group and just our friend Alex and and Joseph Rios. There's nothing that captivates uh, that excitement and the anticipation like a newborn uh, baby. Uh, Personally, we have not mastered the art of announcing uh, babies with with our two. We're kind of 0 for 2 in my opinion, Uh, just a little bit on the the, the story side of of that, and then we'll look at some good examples. But uh, with Graham, I think we got our our parents a little Winnie the Pooh card that said, uh, the best things come in small packages. My mom told me this, and I'm going, lame, 0 for 1. And then uh, then we remember back, okay, with Cooper, uh, a little clever, we put Graham in a big bro shirt, uh, got a white shirt, iron on, six letters, and then like presented Graham to our parents, and all of a sudden, hey, Oh, like we're going to be grandparents again. It's kind of clever, and there it is right there. Um, and so it's, it's all right. That's not bad. Uh, then you go on Pinterest, and you just feel a ton of shame, and you see things like this. You see really clever ones like, like the dog. Like who, who thinks of the dog? That's clever, right? Uh, I like the, the top left is, is clever. The we're prego, that means we're pregnant, right? Um, she's drinking that. He's celebrating with a glass of wine. And, and then you have the grandparents right there. Hey, dear grandparents, similar to our card, like, hey, you might want to hold on to this pacifier. Well, why? Oh, because I'm going to, yeah. So you, you get some clever ideas here. Uh, Ron and I are 0 for 2. We hope for one day, something we're waiting on the Lord in anticipation, we might get a, a third shot at making a baby announcement. So far, we're kind of bad at it. Um, God, however, in this text, clearly the best, right? Clearly, just in terms of how long it was to be, uh, you know, until it actually came to fruition, uh, how he, he had angels do his, and, and he had all kinds of, like, the stars were lining up in certain ways. God, God is clearly the best baby announcer, putting Pinterest to shame, and certainly our story to shame. And this baby announcement is unlike any other baby announcement, because the baby is unlike 
any other baby. And this morning, as we look at the text and the big deal that the Lord, this angel, Joseph and Mary, make about the birth of Jesus, there's a ton here. And it impacts our personal faith, and it certainly impacts our celebration, certainly this time of year during Christmas, because he was unlike any other baby born to die. Jesus was born to die. In verse 21, it says, for he will save his people from his sin. The Bible makes it very clear, doesn't it, that if there's to be remission of sin, forgiveness of sin, there must be death. The wages of sin is death. So if if there's a sin problem, it's going to get dealt with. Somebody's going to die, right? Every sacrifice in the Old Testament, there's, it's made with blood. And so Jesus, precious little baby, born directly, uh, initially born ultimately to die for, for us, that we might be redeemed back to God and rescued from our sin. Uh, the song, O Come Emmanuel, that, that we sing and, and we'll sing again, uh, you, you hear this sense of anticipation uh, and you got to rewind back to before Jesus came. Again, that's where we're at in the Christmas series. And you hear this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, like a begging God, you've promised it, send him. And ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, a moment of faith and praise. Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Have faith, hold on. God is faithful. He will send the rescuer to redeem us back to God and rescue us from the power of sin and death. It's a, it's a very real bondage. It's a very real sin. There's a reality in the spiritual world. They waited in anticipation for the sending of God's rescue. Um, in Matthew 1, before we read this text about uh, Gabriel making this announcement, we see the genealogy of Jesus, which I don't know about you, I skipped over that most of the times I ever opened my Bible up to Matthew, but it's, it's packed with a lot of implications there. And in that, it's, it's, it literally gives the, the lineage from, from Abraham, and you could even say from, from Adam all the way down to, to David, and then David all the way down to, not Joseph, but Mary, and then to, to Jesus. Um, so it's, it's this promised Emmanuel, if, you just, if, we, if we roll the clock back, to when God's people were enslaved in bondage, they were scattered and taken over here and just left to die over here. And, and we see it in O Come Emmanuel that, that ransom us God and we're mourning in lonely exile here. And you get the idea that, that every birth, every son after David, they're going, is this a guy? Because it's going to be in the line of David. It's going to have David's biological bloodline, this, this redeemer, this rescuer, this king. And then uh, David's son isn't it, and David's grandson isn't it. And then on down the line, you get this idea, every single son from, from that guy down, you're going, is this the guy? Okay, no, not, he just did that. Clearly not the guy. Okay, is his son the guy? Okay, that, that's not him. Okay, is, is this the guy waiting? And you even get this, you, we imagine during the exile when God's people are scattered, maybe the, the, the following the bloodline, Ancestry.com, may have a hard time following that whenever they were split all over Babylon. Until maybe the, the, the bloodline and following the historians got, maybe got even a little bit confused to where who knows where the line of David picks back up. Until one day, the baby announcement comes from this long, uh, almost forgotten prophecy that some, certainly, a remnant were holding on to, but not sure where to look. God sends the rescuer to this humble teenage Jewish couple. And we don't know a ton about them, certainly not Joseph, but we know enough to get enough of a character study to know that he, in the drama of some pre-marital pregnancy, 
has the righteousness about him to handle it in a God-honoring way. He's even convicted to to divorce her for God-honoring reasons because that would defile the name of God in their marriage union. And with Mary, obviously that not being the case, we see a very clear picture of her when, when she says what? We read the Magnificat. We read her prayer and her acceptance of the Lord's will, no matter how crazy it might be, that these were content, devout, faith-filled teenagers, righteous and just. And through them, God would redeem and rescue his people from sin. Here's the thing. We'll put it on the screen a few times. This is the main idea. Only a virgin birth by the Holy Spirit would result in a death powerful enough to rescue us from sin. C.S. Lewis considers the virgin birth, quote, that that miracle, which for some reason proves hardest of all for the modern mind to accept, end quote. One influential speaker and author and former, former evangelical Christian pastor says this, what if tomorrow someone digs up definitive proof that Jesus has a real earthly biological father named Larry? And archaeologists find Larry's tomb and do DNA samples and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing that the gospel writers threw in to appeal to the followers of Mithra and Dionysian religious cults that were hugely popular at the time of Jesus, whose gods, by the way, had virgin births, In quote. If this once evangelical Christian pastor and current day, modern-day influential author and speaker, if this man is right, then I'm going to hit this lock button on my iPad. You're going to close your Bibles. We're not even going to pray. We're going to pack it up, and we're going to leave this room. Fortunately for us, however, he's not right. There's no hope of that being the case. And, and so it, it stands to reason that our affirmation, your affirmation, my affirmation of the virgin birth, almost single-handedly supports our Christian faith almost like no other doctrine. This is not something that we, we, we consider during December. This is the truth of our faith that makes Jesus everything we need Jesus to be for us. Because rescuing us from our sin was the plan all along. The, this virgin birth uh, concept wasn't just a dose of drama that the Lord, God in heaven, chose to, to drop on the situation. This was the only way it was going to happen. And so to be saved from your sin, to be saved from my sin, God would have to come in the flesh perfect. Because to rescue us from our sin was the point all along. Dave set this up beautifully last week, and it's worth mentioning as we build on it. That the first mention of the gospel of of Christ coming, this rescuer of your sin and my sin coming, the first mention isn't even Isaiah, 700 years before the first Christmas. It's thousands of years before that, again, as he mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. There's a theological term called the proto-evangelium. The layman's term is first gospel. It's the first mention. There's uh, mention, I'll read this again. Genesis 3.15 says this is God dealing uh, justly, fairly, and, and he is cursing Satan, saying, I will put enmity, strife, division between you and this woman, the woman. There will be a woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he'll bruise your hit head, meaning he'll win, but you'll only bruise his Heal. The word that's curious is the word Zara, or that, that, that compound word for her offspring, because women don't have a seed, they don't have offspring, men do. And so this would be a very clear, not just implication, but a very clear, bold statement of a virgin birth thousands and thousands of years later. 
So let's look carefully, and I wrote this out, and so be impressed. Let's look carefully at this birth announcement as it is packed full of and pregnant with, pun intended, sin-solving power due to the perfect prenatal purity of this precious child. I won't do it again. So let's unpack this verse by verse. And and Todd, if you would, put up the main passage, please. And we'll pick this uh, as we go through. So the angel came. And we know in Luke chapter 1 that this is Gabriel, right? And and God sent a messenger from heaven. Uh, Luke gives us kind of some information to fill out some of the story. Uh, Historically, Gabriel is is known Jewish uh, culture to to be the the angel of dreams. And in this case, this wasn't a dream. It wasn't bad pizza. It wasn't ice cream too late. This was uh, like a divine angelic apparition, or you could say a vision. This was a message from God. I'd be careful to do that and say that you had a dream and that was a message from God. God was doing very unique things during the time of Jesus' coming. Uh, however, the Lord could still do this, and he speaks very clearly to Joseph in a dream and a vision. I love how he addresses Joseph. He doesn't say, hey, Joseph, son of Jacob. Jacob's his biological dad, but he says, hey, Joseph, son of David. He's appealing to genealogy. He's appealing to prophecy. And, and I wonder, we don't know this, but if the bloodlines did get confused, he might be are you serious? I'm the son. I'm a son of David. And he was known as the son of David. Um, and this might have not been brand new information. Either way, he's pulling. Angel Gabriel's pulling at the heartstring saying, you're in the line. You're a part of the fulfillment of prophecy. You're not just Jacob's son and Mathen's uh, grandson. You are a son of David. He's appealing to prophecy. The betrothal, he warns Joseph because he was considering divorcing Mary because they were betrothed. And and this goes a little bit against the the porcelain scene that we have in our mangers, right? There's there's a beautiful one there, a beautiful one in the hallway. I'm sure there's several beautiful ones in your home. There's one in ours. And everyone's looking like gazingly. And and there's a lot of drama going on. And if Joseph was considering uh, divorcing her, there was some premarital pregnancy. And you think that's a, a drama uh, today, that this was, this was worth uh, being stoned for if you were uh, proved to be an a, adulterer. And so she w- we know that, again, in Luke, that she was with Elizabeth, her cousin, for three months. And uh, girls, w- women, w- when do you start showing? Four, maybe sometimes three, four months, five months. So we, we think that whenever it says she was found to be with child and Joseph's going, hold on, is that a baby bump I'm seeing? And we think that, that that's how she was found to be with child. It was very likely that she was showing. Either way, it was found that Mary was with child. And Joseph, in private, in secret, thought about how he would do this in a way that wouldn't shame her. Thus, Gabriel coming in saying, calm down just a second. The child, it's not another man. The, the three-month journey with Elizabeth, she was with Elizabeth. She wasn't doing other things. This child is by the Holy Spirit. And it must be that way. Um, so this child being with, by the Holy Spirit, the Bible is careful to, to say that Joseph was the stepfather of Jesus, not the father of Jesus. If you look at verses 16 and 19, I love this. Uh, in 16, he's referred to as the husband of Mary. You've got all these men listed for, for uh, 17 verses or so. And then all of a sudden, we have, uh, we have Mary, or we have Joseph, the husband of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. Verse 19, it it talks in in context, it's talking about the baby Jesus, and it references the baby's 
mom. And it could have easily just said uh, the baby's father, but it said the, the mother's husband. It's very clear that, that Joseph was not the father of this baby, and that's not just a, a, a drop of drama the Lord put in. It had to be this way. So who was the father? Uh, I love this question because uh, 20 chapters later in Matthew, this is the question Whose father is uh, Jesus' father? Who is Jesus' father, the Christ father? This is the question that finally silences the Pharisees. If you read a part of this, Matthew 22, uh, from verse 42, it set it up. It says, Jesus asked the Pharisees a question. This is what he says, verse 42, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, Well, the son of David, period. Easy. Next. Jesus had a problem with that because he understood something. Even David understood something. Continue in verse 43. Jesus said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, speaking truth, calls him, the Christ, Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And Jesus returns, If then David calls him, this Christ, Lord, how is he just his biological son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any questions. And Jesus said, that part of my journey is over, right? Who's the father? It's not just a biological question. It's not just a heavenly question. It's both because only a virgin birth by the Holy Spirit would result in a death powerful enough to rescue you from your sins. And then the last part of this birth announcement the best birth announcement ever. You call him Jesus, for he will save his people from, his, from their sins. So Yeshua or Yehoshua means Joshua, uh, which means God saves. So it's basically like saying you're going to name him Joshua uh, because God saves. Yahweh saves. But then the angel adds three powerful, massive words that are not in the baby book. You look up Joseph or, or Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, and you're going, oh, Yahweh saves. That's beautiful. Let's name him Jesus. And the angel goes, but, but let me tell you the uniqueness of this child. He's gonna, it's not just going to be a namesake pointing to the power and faithfulness of God. He's actually going to be the one that does it. Call him Jesus because he's going to save God's people, dot, 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 from their sins because remember it's always been a sin problem and Jesus had the perfect combination to rescue us from our sin another theological word if you're writing these down or if you care it's called the hypostatic union this is one of those words that we have to create to to uh, encompass the these two diametrically opposed ideas because the hypostatic union of Jesus means that he is completely divine and completely human go figure that one out but being born of the Holy Spirit and born of a woman, he's 200%. He's 100% humanity. He's 100% divinity. Matthew 1 and Matthew uh, 1, 1 and Matthew 1, 18. Uh, 1, 1 for the next 17 verses talks about his biological birth. And the, and the same word is used in 1, 1. And then you have Matthew 1, 18. It talks about his divine birth. This is what we read, that the birth of Jesus happened in this way. And it doesn't talk about any earthly fathers, does it? That's his divine birth record. The same word is used, 1-1 one, one and one eighteen. This is the way Jesus was born. Humanly speaking, here's the way Jesus was born according to divinity. 
Jesus having the perfect combination to save means that he alone can do what we need him to do uh, to solve the sin problem in our life. If you look at Philippians 2, this is uh, one of two verses that we'll read that has both divinity and humanity represented. Philippians 2, 5-7 through seven, leans toward the divinity side. I love this. Uh, read this with me. Have this mind of yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Then we look at Galatians 4, 4 and 5, that again has humanity and divinity, but it leans toward the humanity. And we could spend eight weeks on Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, I think of O come Emmanuel, save us, we're in lonely exile. When are you going to come? Have you forgotten? But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born not of a man but of a woman, born under law to redeem those humans who were under the law so that we might receive full adoptions, adoption as sons. It's a powerful passage. Matthew Henry, a theologian I enjoy reading, says this, the mystery of Christ becoming man is to be adored, not curiously inquired into. The mystery of Christ becoming man is to be adored. Uh, one artist says it like this, and this will rhyme because it's part of a, a, a hip-hop song, so I'll try not to rap this, so I'll fight every tendency I have to rap this, because uh, I hear it in my head as a rap, but I love this, because maybe you've never considered the human experience of our Lord. Maybe you've never really con- considered the nativity, and that little baby is anything more than just the little baby that will grow up to be Jesus. It says, the creator of Uranus and Venus became a fetus. The subject of the Gospels and the praise of the apostles armed with eye sockets, armpits, and nostrils. The one who never tires, knocked out sleeping. The source of eternal joy, weeping. The creator of water, becoming thirsty. Jesus somehow became everything he wasn't without ceasing to be anything that he was. And that's exactly how it had to be because... Only a virgin birth by the Holy Spirit would result in a death powerful enough to rescue you from your sins. Only a human can substitute for human lives, but only God can take the wrath of God and survive. If he wasn't fully human, he wouldn't be able to associate with you and I. If he wasn't fully human, he would never have had the opportunity to fully obey the law thereby appeasing God's wrath toward sin. Did you know that you're born into this world with God's wrath directed toward you by nature of being born of a man's offspring? That's how we enter this world. And so someone had to enter this world free of that. And then having, having entered the world, he must then live the perfect life that would make God in heaven smile. And then because the law of, of death uh, uh, counting against sin was still in place, then that perfect man from a perfect birth would have to die, making his death perfect and, and powerful for you and you and you and me and all of the world to, to trust in his sacrifice for sin. And the Bible tells us that we literally make a trade. We get his righteousness, he gets my sin. He who, what? Knew, no, became for us, that we might be what? The righteousness of God through who? 
Christ. None of that happens without a virgin birth. Um, in our Advent reading this, this week as a family, and, and by the way, just to encourage you, if you haven't started this yet, we're, we're still behind. We're kind of catching up, but it's, it's worth doing. Every time we sit down and open Scripture together, it's, it's enough. It's good. Um, so in case you're behind, let that... Okay, even, even the pastor preaching from the Bible right now is behind with his family with Advent reading. But we read um, the anticipation portion even before I, I even kind of connected the dots with this passage to study and, and preach it. And so we, we read in uh, a passage, if you go online, and we have some Advent reading guides. And so we're doing that one as a family. And um, uh, it has a little portion, a little uh, excerpt from the Jesus Storybook Bible that I think is powerful. And again, this isn't scripture, but it's an awesome, awesome tool that makes the truth of scripture relevant to, to our kids. Uh, and then to come under and undergird that with scripture uh, just makes that an awesome, awesome tool. And I love how it says it in the, the, the sin and disobedience portion of that, of the book, right? It, it gives a picture of Eve and the, the snake and the apple and, and, and Adam not stepping up and, and being a man. And, and so he gets, you know, and, and God has those special requirements for, for the man and made us first and somehow to lead and to serve. And we are still figuring that out with, with mankind. But all we know is that he was called the first Adam, the one that, that let sin in the door, right? And so we, he, they tell that story. And then it literally says the words, the end, period. Because in a sense, that's where it stopped, right? Because God laid out the law. And parents, on a good day, we know how this feels. I lay out the law. You break the law. There's consequences. Let's move on with our lives. And, they, and you suffer the consequences. I'm frustrated. My blood temperature's higher. And, you know, whatever, right? It says, the end. And you flip the page in Jesus' storybook Bible, and it says this. And this is the excerpt in our reading. Well, not in this story. <laughs> I love this. I get chills when I read this. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve, and he said this, It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. That's Jesus coming is nothing short of a rescue. And when I do, he says, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the darkness and the sadness that you let in here. I'm coming back for you, end quote. And it says, and he would. One day, God himself would come. So this is the proto-evangelion, the first gospel written to kids in a way that would make a grown man cry. Thousands of year, years later, the Lord would impress upon Isaiah to be a little more clear with the birth proclamation of Jesus. On the first Christmas, several months before, an angel, a messenger from heaven, would come down and tell Joseph, don't divorce her. This is Jesus. This is the one that you and your people have been waiting for for hundreds of and hundreds of years. He has come to fix the very problem you started. He's going to redeem you back to himself, which means to put something back to its original and ultimate and best purpose. And he's going to rescue you from your sin. I don't know about you, but that makes me look at the nativity scene a little bit differently. 
I don't just go, oh, how cute. This is at least a reminder for us to, to, to remember that there's some drama wrapped into that porcelain sheen. That there's power packed. It's not weakness, it's meekness in the little baby Jesus. And only a virgin birth could save us from our sin. So here are four things that I I think we do with this. So this is mainly an understanding we have, a a theological understanding that directly relates to our doxology, right? I'm a firm believer that your your doxology, which is a fancy word for praise, is only as high as your theology is deep. And so I think every time we understand theologically something a little bit more, I think that frees our worship up to go higher. So it is kind of a a head understanding in terms of application. But here are four things I think this truth does for us. I think it affects our worry. It affects our works. It affects our worship and our witness. Four W's, maybe that's more memorable. It affects our worry. God's never late, is he? He's like a wizard. A wizard's never early. A wizard's never late. God was the first one to ever create anything like that, right? The wizards took after God in that way, but... God is never early. God is never late in the fullness of time. We're waiting on something from the Lord. We're waiting on a phone call, waiting on an email. Maybe you're waiting on something from the Lord right now. Just as we read this text, I feel led to encourage you. He's never late. Don't worry. Have faith. And then it affects our works. We're reminded that Mary was a virgin. There's no small thing to save yourself for your husband. Mary was a devout, law-abiding Jew, not for the sake of following the law, but because we get the idea, the clear picture that she desired to honor her Lord. We don't, we're not saved by our works, but we are saved by works. We're saved by Christ's works, and we work out of that already acceptance. It affects our worship because God solved the sin problem that we created. Let's worship with the virgin birth in mind. And last thing, it affects our witness. I think that we as Christians should celebrate Christmas better than anybody on the planet. And for you, that might look like more lights on your house. Like, for real, you're going, I just can't contain the the love that I have of this season because of Christ. It might mean you give uh, more than you ought to give for one month out of the year. It it might mean that that, that you, uh, you make it so clear that to send Christmas cards with a passage of truth on there because you know that's where Christmas came from. We should worship, or because of our worship, we should celebrate Christmas better than anybody. It shouldn't be a stress. It should be out of freedom. It shouldn't be a burden. It should be a joy. I was talking with uh, Kelly about the women's event yesterday, and they shared something about contagious Christmas. And, and I believe as, as a believer, it talked about the wise men getting more people and the, the shepherds bringing more people, and, and everything just kind of grew around the excitement of Jesus. Is that happening around our lives? I think it affects our witness. Only a virgin birth by the Holy Spirit of God could begin a life that could be perfect enough, whose death could be powerful enough to save you and save me from our sins. Let's pray.